Revelation chapter 5. Take your Bible and join me this morning. Revelation chapter 5. A lot of times when you mention the book of Revelation, a lot of people will withdraw because it is to some a fearful thing and uh, some really have started reading it and then quit reading it and said, well, I can't understand that. But really and truly, when you come to the truth, then you understand that the book of Revelation is God's word to us to encourage us. And that's what God is, is doing here. Now, most of us, I think, would agree that if the road was out in the direction that we're going and someone knew about it, you would want them to tell you so that you would not uh, find yourself falling off. The book of Revelation is just exactly that. God has a plan for how this world is going to come to an end. And what God does in this book of Revelation is to show us how that you and I can uh, face the things that are coming to us so that we would not have to sit in fear and wonder when. So I want you to keep in mind as we uh, begin, especially next week in the book of Revelation, that this is the plan of God for the culmination of this age. And when you look at it from that perspective, then you and I are going to understand and agree that God has blessed us by telling us, here is what's going to happen. Now, last week we talked about uh, understanding the end for uh, the church. Revelation chapter 4, the first two words of the first verse of that chapter, John writes, after this. It's also in uh, chapter 1 and verse 19. He told John, he gave the outline of the book of, of Revelation to John. And he said, John, I want you to write what you've seen, the things that are now, and what is to come. That's the outline of the book. So John wrote about what he had seen. He saw Christ, the risen Christ. The things that are now is the church. And then the things after this. After this, in chapter 4, speaks of, and I mentioned to you, the rapture of the church. Now, you have to understand where you... Uh, find yourself into that understanding about the rapture of the church. And I showed you on the screen there last week about uh, the different uh, people that, with the different ideas concerning how the church will come to its culmination. And there are those that, that believe that everything that is written in Revelation happened during the time of John. It was done. It's over with. There are those that believe that the church will go through this time of tribulation and then Christ will come and take his, his church with him and then bring him right back to earth. 
And then there are those that don't believe there's going to be a millennial at all, that everything will just all come to a culmination, and then God is going to uh, bring it to an end, and there's not going to be a millennial reign. There'll just be a new heaven and a new earth. <clears throat> now, I don't know how many times I've told you this in the last 15 years, but let me remind you. You can believe those things if you want to, but I am a pre-tribulationist, which means that I believe the church is going to be raptured before the tribulation comes. And if you believe that other stuff, you can be wrong if you want to, but you're going to be wrong. <laughs> and, it's, and it's not because, oh, gee, I know everything, folks. It's because this is what the Bible teaches us. And from the practicality side of it, why would God leave his church to go through this tribulation period? So what this book of Revelation provides for us is, in chapter 4, he takes the church out. Whew. We're in the presence of God. And I mentioned to you the fact that we will be judged at that particular time at the judgment seat of Christ. It's called the Bema. It's where they sit in the city. The Bema is where the ruler would sit and he would judge all the people that came to him. We are going to be judged for the service we render to God. Gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, we went through all of that. Jesus Christ is the one who knows us. He'll be our judge. And he will judge us and he will burn up the works that are not for God. If we have done things for God, then those things will last. We will be rewarded, the crowns, the five crowns we mentioned, and we will bring them and lay them at Jesus' feet. That's what we found in chapter 4. We will bring those crowns, we will lay them before them. If we don't have any crowns, we are saved yet so as by fire. In other words, by the skin of your teeth. But you have nothing to bring to him. And I really believe, and, and most of us like to go into chapter 21 and, and say, well, God wiped away all the tears from their eyes, and that meant all the stuff of this world. I think part of that means he's going to wipe away the tears because we'll be weeping because we have nothing to bring. That's why it's important that we serve God, and I'll show you why in just a minute. Okay, so now we are the church, the church age. Those seven churches represent the church of every age, of every year that this, church, that this world exists. That church age is going to come to an end. Bam. The church is never mentioned again in the book of Revelation after chapter 3 until chapter 22. That's when you read about the church again. The marriage supper of the Lamb will take place. We all know that that's where the, the redeemed of God will gather. But folks, please understand, no longer are we the church. We're the bride of Christ. He's the bridegroom. We're the bride. And that's where we'll sit with Him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, chapter 4, we're in heaven we read all the things that, that Jesus uh, uh, shared with us about heaven and, and the, the throne and, and God on the throne and, and the emerald around the throne and then the Sardis stone and the Jasper stone and, and all of those things that, that declare that, that God is sitting on the throne and the Holy Spirit is before the throne and there are creation around the throne because God is the God of creation just as God is the God of, of, uh, of salvation. And there are those things that are around the throne that remind us that our God is God and He remains God. Now He is sitting on His throne. We've seen God. We have seen the Holy Spirit. 
We've seen the 24 elders, which represents the Old Testament, the New Testament. All the believers are in that. And you say, man, I can't keep up with all that. You don't have to. Just read it. And say, okay, I see that. 24 elders represent all the redeemed of all the ages. Okay? Now, they are worshiping God. We bring Him worship because of who He is and what He has done. Now, as we come to the conclusion of chapter 4, look at verse 11, the last verse of chapter 4. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Now we're going to step into chapter 5. I was reading uh, Adrian Rogers' book about Revelation, and he, he told a story, or he read a story many years ago in Reader's Digest. Now, if you say, yeah, I used to read Reader's Digest, that means that you're old. I don't know if it's still out or not, but I do know this. A lot of people, everybody read Reader's Digest at one time or another. And in Reader's Digest, uh, Dr. Rogers said, someone wrote about uh, the people that are looking for a meaningful life had to, have, had to find three things. They had to find, first of all, someone to love. Secondly, they had to find something to do. And thirdly, they have to find something to hope for. Someone to love, something to do, something to hope for. Now when you read that, it all culminates into one thing. And that is Jesus Christ. And see, you can, you can make that, that spiritual. We all need to find someone to love. Who is that? Jesus. We all need to find something to do. What is that? Serving God. We all need to find something to hope for. Now, for you and I, it's not hard for us to find someone to love. We can all find someone to love. They may not love us back, but we love them. But we find someone and, and we begin to share that love with each other. And we, we say our life is complete because of that love. Something to do? Well, if you're worth anything at all, you get you a job. You go to work. That's what you do. You get up, you go to work. You hire somebody, go to work. You work for them. That's what you do. Our problem is having something to hope for. Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, that if in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most miserable. So it seems that hope is not just in this life, but hope extends beyond this life. Every one of us sitting here knows that this world is not going to last forever. We're not going to last forever. I watch, I watch people on TV and, and they're doing all kinds of exercises and they're doing all kinds of running and they're drinking. They're drinking the most nasty stuff I've ever seen in my life. And the reason they're doing it is because they want to live a long time. Okay. I, I get it. But number one, I'm not going to drink alfalfa in a glass. And I'm not going to eat those little sticks 
just so I don't get any protein in my body or, or carbohydrates or whatever those things are called. Because I'm going to tell you something. Most of those people I see on TV are just little bitty. And they look at me and they say, you know, you're just too big. And I look at them and I say, there's a lot of skinny people in that cemetery out there too. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making fun of you. And, and I think it's great. People, people exercise and, and, and people uh, eat right. And they do right. I have enough trouble getting up out of my chair. But I do know this. There's not a one of us sitting here that's going to leave here alive. We're either going to die or we're going to be taken out of here. Now, isn't that right? That's right. We age, we get older, things happen, we get sick, sicknesses come, we die. I, I don't want to even want to think about and count since March of last year how many people I've buried up until just a few days ago. I, I don't even want to think about that because of this virus. So we never know. So we have to hope for something that's beyond this existence right here. And that hope is none other than Jesus Christ. Now, if you know Christ is your Savior, if you have confessed your sins and invited Jesus into your heart to save you, and you know without a doubt, you can look me in the eye and you can say, Preacher, I know Jesus. I know I've, I've, I've prayed and I've asked Him to come into my heart. I know He lives in my heart. I know that I've been saved. Then, folks, we don't have to worry. We just need to thank God for the hope that extends beyond the existence of this world and knowing that I have a life forever in eternity with Jesus that's our hope so as we think about that that hope that we have all of a sudden we're going to understand that God has a purpose and a plan as to how all things are going to culminate God is about to unleash the tribulation upon this earth God has a plan for what He is going to do, and He's going to turn loose all the things that are in His will. And here is John as he has been, as he has been brought up into heaven around the throne, and there he looks and he sees all of this. And now in verse 5, all of a sudden there is another sight, and he hears something that causes him to weep. Look at verse 1, Revelation 5. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. Isn't that a sad sight? Look at verse 4. And John said, and I wept much. The term that he used there means that he wailed. He sobbed uncontrollably. He cried and he cried and he cried and he cried and he couldn't stop crying. There's no one, there's no one, not even one, to open the scroll that's in the hand of God. Now, that's the setting of, of chapter 5. What does that mean to us? 
And what does it mean to a Christian? Why is it so important that we open this scroll? What's on the scroll? What is the scroll? Let's look at it for a minute. Because if you don't understand this part, and if you miss it, then the rest of it really doesn't make sense to you. So we've got to get a hold of this. So are you ready? First thing we're going to do is talk about the meaning of the scroll. Now let me share something with you. This scroll that he's talking about, I saw a book as it is, but it's a scroll. That's what the word means and that's what it is. And it's, it's a scroll that is sealed seven times. And basically what they did was they would take it and they would roll it up, seal it, roll it up, seal it, roll it up, seal it. Now, the seventh seal was there. When they broke the seal, it would unfold and it would show the first part, the second part, the third part. The thing that you have to remember is this. We've already established the fact that the number seven is the number of perfection. So this seal, this this scroll that's sealed with seven seals is perfection. In other words, there's nothing else to add. Okay? And you say, how do you know? Seven seals. Well, when we get over in chapter 6, 7, and 8, they're going to open seven seals seals okay so this scroll is vitally important with the seven seals that are going to bring the judgment of God upon this earth but it's never going to happen until someone can open the scroll why can't someone do it all right let's find out the meaning of this scroll first of all I want you to understand this the scroll is eschatological and it's Christological. Y'all like those words? I've been working all week on saying them. Eschatological means that it's all about the end. The end. Christological means it's all about Christ. So it has to be about Christ and the things that are said, the things that are a part of this scroll. The scroll contains God's plan for the redemption of all mankind. And what you're going to see is this scroll, and you'll notice it says it's written on the front, it's written on the back. And that means that there's nothing else that can be added to the scroll. Seven times it's sealed, perfectly done, everything's done, everything is complete. Now we have to find someone that is able to open that scroll. The scroll is God's plan of redemption. I'll show you that in just a minute. The scroll contains the inheritance that belongs to all of us. And John is weeping because he knows that our inheritance is lost unless that scroll can be opened. Now keep those things in mind because I'm going to explain it to you here in just a second. The scroll can't be opened. There's not even one. That's what it says in verse 3. And John begins to weep bitterly because he said no one is worthy to open the scroll and to read the book. And so John is, is, is all uh, broken down because there's no one to open that scroll. His inheritance is lost. Our inheritance is lost because no one can do it. The only one that can open the scroll... The only one that can break the seal 
now listen to me, is the kinsman redeemer. Now the kinsman redeemer goes back to the Old Testament. Because you see, when Moses set the, the, the law for the people of Israel, in that law, there was a thing called the year of Jubilee. The people of Israel would, would go for 49 years, seven sevens. The next year would be what is called the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee you can find in Leviticus chapter 25, and you can read that, and you need to read that, because it explains how the year of Jubilee is done. But no Jewish person, no Jewish person could lose what they had. In the year of Jubilee, if you had to sell your land, if your land was taken from you, if you were too poor to keep the land, then in the year of Jubilee, you went back to that land and it became yours again. If you were a servant, you went back home. That was what the year of Jubilee was, which means it was a year of freedom. Everything went back to just exactly as it was. That is the year of Jubilee. Leviticus chapter 25. Now the most beautiful story of the kinsman redeemer is found in the four little chapters of the book of Ruth. Ruth, Naomi, Boaz. Boaz was a kin to Naomi. And so through those four little chapters... The husbands died, Ruth's husbands died, which is Naomi's son. And because of that, they come to Boaz. And Boaz is a rich man during that time. He goes to town, but there is one kinsman that is before him. And he says, I'm going to take back all that belongs to, I'm going to buy back everything that belongs to Naomi. And to all of her family, her husband and her sons, I'm going to buy it back. But you are before me. And he said, I'll buy it back. He said, okay, but keep this in mind. If you buy that back, you've got to marry Ruth and have a child with her so that her lineage can continue, the son's lineage can continue through her. And he said, nope, ain't going to, ain't going to have no other woman later hanging around. And he said, you buy it. If you read in Ruth, he says he took off his shoe, handed him his shoe, and everything was settled. Okay? Now, that is the kinsman redeemer. Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah was a kinsman redeemer for his uncles, and he bought back the land. Okay? Now, only the kinsman redeemer can do that. You see where I'm going with this? Let me explain something to you. They lost the land... They wrote on it how they lost the land. And then they wrote on it how the land could be taken back. What was lost was what happened in Eden. Because you see, when Adam took that, that fruit and ate it and disobeyed God, he put Satan in charge of all of this world. And he lost the farm, so to speak. Now, Satan has the world as his. And Adam can't get it back. 
And you say, I thought God, God created this world. God's still in control of this world. You bet he is. But you remember when Jesus was being tempted by Satan? You remember one of the things that Satan said to him? He said, you bow down and worship me. And what did he say? I'll give you everything that you see. How could he do that? Because it belonged to him. The inheritance is lost. Our inheritance. All inher- it's all lost to us. Now we need a kinsman redeemer that's able to unleash that scroll so that we can see how it was lost and then see how we get it back and who can do that to gain that back. So the kinsman redeemer has to be the one to come and do that. The title deed to all of this creation has to be bought back. Who can do it? Only the kinsman redeemer. John looks around and he's not there. If you look with me, if you will, in verse 9, I want to show you something. That's the eschatological part of this. The scroll has to be opened so that we can get everything back. Verse 9 says, uh, in, in the middle of verse, For you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. He has redeemed us, not only with His blood to save us while we're here on this earth. Folks, what you're going to see here is that from chapter 6 through chapter 20, He is redeeming us and setting us free and giving us our inheritance back. We belong to Him. And that inheritance comes back to us. In Luke 21, 28, Jesus said, When all of these things begin to happen, then lift up your head, because your redemption draws nigh. And you say, but preacher, I I don't know what all to look for. It doesn't matter. At any moment, any second, if you are a borrowed of the child of God, if you are a member born again, uh, bought with the blood, uh, baptized part of of God's church through Jesus Christ, It doesn't matter when or how. You just listen for the shout. Get your head up because Jesus is coming again to take you out of here. He has redeemed us. We belong to him and thus he is going to redeem it all. He reached down through God's creation and he brought to us redemption. And the redemption of our inheritance awaits us. We've been redeemed By the blood, listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 1. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And you say, yes, I've I've tasted that. I know that. Now listen to this. In whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you have believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Now, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. But then he goes on to say, this is the earnest of our inheritance when the redemption takes place. And the redemption hasn't taken place because there's no one who can open the book. 
we've been, born, we've been born again. We've been bought by the blood of Jesus, right? But now our inheritance awaits being brought back to us. There's coming a day when what Adam did is going to be bought back. And it's all going to be through Jesus. He's going to restore our inheritance to us. What is he going to give us? He's going to give us a new body. Paul in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1 said, And we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle is destroyed, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. He's going to give us a new body. He's going to give us a new earth. Revelation chapter 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. God's going to purge it, clean it all up. And we're going to have a new earth on which we live. Isaiah chapter 11. The lion will lay down with the lamb. All the animals are going to be brought together. All of them will, will be of, of a, one nature. And all would love each other. And guess what? When we all get to heaven, we're going to love each other. So start working on it now for me, will you? We're going to love each other. He is going to bring us a new earth. And in Romans 8, he's going to bring back all creation. How does it happen? We've got to look at the message of the scroll. We see the meaning of the scroll. Get our inheritance back. We need a kinsman redeemer. First of all, verse 2. Very loud, very strong. Who can do it? No one in heaven. No one in earth. No one in the abyss. The place of the dead. Under the earth. There's no one there that can take that back. Who is worthy? You know, I, I guarantee you there's many people that would try to open that seal, but can't get it done. And in fact, we're trying to do it today. We've got religions today that think they've got the answer to all of it. Folks, I don't have the answer to anything. All I know to do is tell you what the truth of the gospel says, and that's good enough. But yet they, they think that they've got it all uh, on a downhill pull. And if you, just, if you just do right, send them money and, and act nice, then everything's going to be fine. You're all going to heaven. No, it's not. Unless you know Jesus as your Savior, it doesn't matter what else we do. We lose our inheritance. We lose everything on this earth. We lose a home in heaven. It's all taken away from us. We've got movies that are being made about how we can make this change and the things that we can do. Film critics and, and film uh, makers and, and stars, they, they think they've got all this figured out, and they make all this silly stuff about Armageddon. We won't get to Armageddon until chapter 16. Armageddon, there's going to be a lot happen before we get to Armageddon. In fact, I'll tell you what that says one of these days, what that word means. See, all of these things, we wind up and we say, who can do it? No one can do it. Philosophers, professors, no one can do it. He wept in agony. He wept in despair. And isn't it amazing? While he was weeping, he couldn't see Jesus. Now, you know why I said that? Because we catch ourselves up in so much of our worry and fretting and all the things that we do 
We get ourselves so involved in these things and all of a sudden we decide that God's not doing anything for us and God doesn't love me and nothing's going to happen and I'm going to have to do this by myself and where is God and God doesn't care and all of these other things and we begin to worry and fret and we weep and we're sobbing, we're in despair and we're disappointed and all these things that happen. We say, oh God, where are you? Where are you? And he said, look up. I'm on the throne. Look up. John, and he's weeping in his despair, knowing that everything was gone, just like you and I do. What do you think of when you think of Jesus? Do you think of a nuisance in your life? Do you think of someone that hinders you from living why you, why, uh, how you want to live? What do you think of? Folks, when we see Jesus, we need to see the one who died for us. We need to see the crown of thorns. We need to see the cat of nine tails on his back. We need to see the holes in his hands and his feet. We need to see his body heaving to take a breath, only to say, today you'll be with me in paradise. We need to see the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave everything that he had for me and for you. He gave it all to us. And why? So that he could buy us back, redeem us, cleanse us, and give us life abundant and eternal. See the Jesus who's standing in the midst of the church today. Don't you kid yourself. Jesus is here. See him? It's not me. Do you see him? Are you here to worship him? He's here. See Jesus? He's on his way back. He's seated at the right hand of God. Don't you know the day's coming? When he's going to put his arm around his son. And he's going to pat him on the shoulder. And he's going to say, son. It's your wedding day. Go get your bride. And he's going to stand up. And the trumpet is going to sound. And the shout is going to be made. And the bride of Christ will whoo. In the twinkling of an eye and we'll be gone. You see Jesus? The one who's going to return and every eye will see him. You see him? John looking around and trying to find him. And he said, I don't see anyone there. And all of a sudden, verse 5, one of the elders, one of the 24 elders said to him, weep not. Here's where the good part begins. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has prevailed. Now that's what it says in the King James. That word is the same word as overcomers that Christ used in chapter 2 and 3. He has overcome to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Verse 6, and in the midst, the midst of the throne and the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, one who had been through a slaughter. Seven horns, seven eyes, seven spirits sent forth in the earth. Let me clear this up for you. How many of you have ever heard the phrase omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent? Have you heard those phrases? Look at verse 6. There stood a lamb 
having seven horns. Horns in the Bible are, they picture power and authority, omnipotent God. Seven eyes, omniscient God. He knows everything. Seven spirits, omnipresent. He's everywhere. Does that help you? He's not some lamb that's got eyes all over him. He is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. You see it? The lamb. Verse 7. He walks to the throne. He took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the beast, the elders, fell down before the lamb. And every one of them had harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. There's going to be music in heaven. That's what it said. Everybody will have a harp. They may give me a harmonica. I'm not real sure what I'm going to get out of this deal. But we're going to be able to sing. And all of us will sing. And we'll sing praises to God. The golden vials full of odors. You know what that is? How many of you, now be real honest, how many of you would say right now that there's, there's prayers that God hasn't answered for me? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever prayed that prayer? That prayer has not been answered, you know it? Not been answered, but it's going to be. You know what this golden bowl of prayers are? It is the prayers of the saints that God is storing up. And we're going to find that those prayers are the sweet odor of God as he answers the prayers that you said, I didn't even hear. There's not a prayer that you pray that God doesn't answer. He'll say yes, he'll say no, he'll tell you to wait, but he answers every prayer. The seven spirits, the vials, the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song. What's the song? You are worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. And you have redeemed us, folks. This whole chapter is about the redemption of God to take us back and to take back the inheritance that we lost. Once we get into chapter 6, you're going to see Jesus begin to peel the tape off. And release the seal. We've been redeemed. And he has made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. That's in chapter 20. The millennial reign. We'll reign with him. Look at verse 11. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels. Round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them were 10,000 times 10,000. And thousands of thousands and thousands and thousands. You can't count them. And they said with a loud voice. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power. And riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits on the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever and the four beasts said amen amen Interesting, verses 12 and 13. They see the Lamb. 
Worthy is the Lamb. They bring him a doxology. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and are in the sea and all them that heard him saying, Blessing and honor. If you read in Philippians chapter 2, as Paul begins to describe uh, Jesus dying for us, and then all of a sudden, right, right down near the end of this, of, of that writing, in Philippians 2 and verse 9, he said he's given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue will confess it. Everyone. As we worship and praise God, we will declare, He is Lord. He is Lord. He is our Savior. He is the worthy Lamb to open the scroll to take back our inheritance. And there's nothing Satan can do about it. My dear friend, we have a worthy lamb called a kinsman redeemer that takes the scroll and he will open it for our inheritance to redeem us how did he redeem us he redeemed us with his blood isn't that what he said if you read in in the scripture in in revelation you don't have to look at this just let me share it with you in chapter 7 and verse 14, you're going to find out that the saints were washed in the blood of the Lamb. In Revelation 12, 11, Satan was overcome by the blood of the Lamb. In verse 9, he says, we've been purchased for God's service with the blood of the Lamb. The kinsman redeemer will buy us back by the blood of the Lamb because only he is worthy. You can't do it. I can't do it, but we've got a God in heaven, a Savior who will take back our inheritance. And one of these days, when we all get to heaven, we'll sing a new song and we'll rejoice forever and ever in the Lamb that is worthy. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? If you don't know him, you can know him today. The lamb that takes away the sin of the world, John the Baptist said. You can trust him. You can find him right now. Won't you open your heart and receive him? Let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm asking you, if you've never invited Jesus into your heart to save you, man, woman, boy, or girl, I'm asking you to open your heart in faith. We don't have to be afraid. We just have to trust the Lord and believe that what he said is true. So I'm asking you, would you open your heart in faith right now? Would you pray this prayer with me, dear Father? I know I'm a lost sinner. I believe Jesus Christ died for me. I believe he rose again. By faith, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of all of my sin. Save me, Lord. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul. If you like, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to get up and come here right now. There's some things I need to share with you. If you want to pray that prayer, but you didn't get up and come, we'll pray it together. You need a church home by letter, by statement for baptism. You need to get up and come. It's time to begin to serve the Lord. Our redemption draws nigh. God doesn't do all of this to make us afraid. God does this to help us to understand what's going to take place after this. Are you ready for him? If not, you can be. Father, in the name of Jesus, speak to our hearts. Give us power. Give us boldness to step up and to step out and to say yes to you in Jesus' name. Stand with us, if you will. As we sing, would you come? Would you come?